Ray Carney is a Harlem resident, family man, and a furniture salesman with one of those relatives that bring trouble your way. Like mine. Will his cousin lead him down a path that puts all he has at risk? Yep. Or will Carney do that himself? The book, Harlem Shuffle, the author, Colson Whitehead. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's, Let's get, get lit. Hi, readers. This is Alexis. And this is Kari. And you're listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and drama. Kari, are you a jewelry person? You know, I try to be. That is uh, my profession. I'm a copywriter for a jewelry company. Mm-hmm. So I'm really but- into jewelry. So much so. Oh, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Good save. Good save. I noticed you, you only wear um, specific piece. You're not a costume jewelry person. Oh, no, I try to keep it real. Yeah, that for sure. I noticed about you. I like costume jewelry. I have proven that I don't um, particularly appreciate real jewelry <laughs> because I lose it mm. all the time. I've had it lost a couple of times where I had to submit to insurance for replacement. <laughs> the last time I just said, forget about it. I just, I, I can't. I, this is not for me. Maybe I wasn't mature enough. Can I tell you a little insider's tip? I don't know yes. how or why, but for some reason, Ann Taylor Loft and Ann Taylor has, ha, they have a great jewelry buyer. There have been pieces that I just um, recently saw at maybe a jewelry show, like the one that went on a couple weeks ago in mm-hmm. Vegas. They'll have an imitation in their costume jewelry collection. So I do mm-hmm. love costume jewelry, too. You know, especially okay. when it's done really well. And that's just okay. a little tip. Ann Taylor, Ann Taylor Loft. I know that's for your mama, right? And your grandma. Uh-uh, go in there and get the jewelry. <laughs> it's not. And Sometimes. the beauty supplies, though. Do not knock the beauty supplies, though. <laughs> not the beauty supplies. Talk about stuff no. you can lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what I stick to now. Stuff that I can lose. But what about thievery? And that takes us into our. Theme of the week. Are okay. you going to steal some jewelry to replace? Yeah, you know what? You can't come over no more. I come have on. been noticing some things missing. Stop this. I didn't want to say nothing. Each week we select a theme to discuss, inspired by the book we are reading. This week's theme is modern day jewelry heists. And did they catch them? Oh, I love this. Oh, I know who you're gonna talk about. <laughs> okay, well, tell Yo, me. Auntie, that was in Zurich. And she was stealing all the gems and it it was okay for her for a while because technology hadn't caught up to her hustle. But then she got sloppy with it. They did a documentary on her. She was like, I don't be stealing. And then they pulled out the camera and it was her stealing in a real sloppy way because she was older. You know, she didn't know they had cameras and stuff. So and she was like, I think she was from she was black American, but she was stealing all over the world. All over the world. You gonna talk about her? (laughs) No, because I did talk about her already. Oh, okay, okay, my bad. Go ahead. Oh, I'm excited. Okay, (laughs) so I have four of them, and I'm gonna ask you after I tell a little bit about it, and I don't have a lot of information about it, so just a little bit. It'll be snippets of information, and then I'll ask you, were the thieves apprehended? And you can say yes or no. Okay. 
All right. So in July of 2018, thieves stole a number of precious royal artifacts from a Swedish church before escaping by what? A speedboat. Oh, there were items that belonged to a Swedish monarch and his wife, including a golden orb or um, adorned with a crucifix and two crowns. And they were taken from a cathedral west of Stockholm. The items date back to the early 17th century. Good grief. At the time, the police said they could not comment on the value of the items stolen. But someone told um, a CNN affiliate Mm -hmm. that their monetary value pales in comparison to their significance in Swedish cultural history. Of course. Yeah. So they ain't worth nothing. but, (laughs) But, you know, that ain't the point. They're trying to tell you. <laughs> the thieves fled, as I mentioned, in an open-topped motorboat from the base of the church. And the police patrol boats and helicopters joined in the hunt. Mm. Were the thieves apprehended? No, because I'll tell you right now, I saw this um, Mission Impossible. I think this is number three. And they got away <laughs> with it. So, Next. Well... <laughs> At the writing of that article, which I believe was in 2019, a man was convicted and sentenced to four and a half years in prison for the robbery. Well, good. Don't be stealing. (laughs) (laughs) Here's another one. This is the Haddon Garden Safe Deposit Limited in London. I think that's what it is. Okay, so it was carried out. The Easter holiday of 2015, the high these break into the Hatton um, before making away with nearly 21.2 million in gems, jewelry, and cash. What's the Hatton? Um, I think it's like a bank. Okay, okay. And this was not even 10 years ago. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. Uh, it was later described in court as the largest burglary in English legal history. Here's what they did. They gained access through an elevator shaft. Mm. Then they used a drill to bore us through a six foot thick wall and enter the basement vault. Were the thieves apprehended? So this is inside, man. And no, because what they did was they stayed in the wall until everybody like got used to the idea of being robbed and went back to their business. Then they came out in suits and was like, hello, top of the morning. It was England, you said. Where's my blood sausage and beans for yeah. breakfast? And they was like, oh, yeah, you on the up and up. You English like us. Cheerio. Wow. Isn't that? Yeah. Just as I'm reading these stories, I try to think about the movies that they're connected <laughs> with. Anyway, for four men over the age of 40 were the ringleaders and organizers and eventually went on trial pleading to conspiracy to burgle. They should have said they was confused. We confused. We over 40. Where's the um bank? <laughs> Apparently that is, a, uh, you know, too old to be robbing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they were caught and they were convicted. Were Man, all yeah. these people are terrible. Okay, but this one. Now this one, think long and hard about it, okay? okay. <laughs> they was definitely caught. She trying to trip me up. They was they de- caught. Next. <laughs> The day after Valentine's Day in 2003, 
$100 million worth of precious stones were snatched from the Antwerp Diamond Center in Belgium. This is what the thieves did. They penetrated some of the most advanced security measures, including high-tech combination locks, motion and heat sensors, and an 18-inch steel door. They even switched the tapes in the building's security cameras to avoid being identified. Were they apprehended? Yes, because listen, I, I mean, maybe because I'm so innocent, I don't I don't understand. But it ain't no money in robbing like this. If you really not that I appreciate crime, but if you really want to rob people, start a cryptocurrency like everybody else. Who do you think you are? <laughs> Calm down. You bringing drills and laptops and all this carrying on. Just be on your own laptop at home robbing everybody and they'll willingly give you their money. Everybody invest in Litcoin. <laughs> Bitcoin is the future. Um, so they was caught. They was caught because they was doing too much. Okay. Here's their one mistake. They left a half-eaten sandwich. <laughs> I see that. doing too much and not enough. With DNA samples on it. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. After a months-long police operation involving t- detectives in several countries, the gangsters were eventually arrested. But most of the jewels were never recovered. Oh, they fenced them. Mm-hmm. Yep, they did. Okay, here is our final one. Mm. In 2009, two men in suits and ties walked into the Graf Jewelry Store on London's New Bond Street in the middle of the day and stole an estimated $65 million worth of jewelry. The men threatened the employees with handguns before grabbing 43 items, including earrings, necklaces, watches. And guess what they escaped in? A blue BMW. Mm. Were the thieves apprehended? You know, this sounds like something that happened to someone I know. And they uh, only like three of the four men were eventually apprehended. But just hearing this, it's just so disgusting. I hope they all were caught. And were they caught? Because if they weren't, I don't even want you to tell me. Were they caught? I want you to tell me. Yeah, they were were caught. caught. And if they wasn't, I'm going to go get them right now because I'm getting mad just thinking about it. Okay. Yes, they were caught. Good, good. Because I didn't want to have to put on my shoes. (laughs) At the time, (laughs) it was Britain's largest ever jewelry heist. The two thieves, as well as two other men, were caught and charged for this robbery. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. And that's it. That's just some of the jury heists that still continue to fall out today. You heard me? Why are people robbing people? You know, <laughs> uh, we live in Chicago and um, armed robberies have gone up in our um, downtown area, particularly um, our Gold Coast neighborhood. And people are being robbed for their purses at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, what yep, do yep. you think is in people's purses? <laughs> Criminals, you know, the last time I seen cash, I think I was with you. And that was the first (laughs) time in years you robbed me. I'm just going to cancel my cards. 
crazy. Real quick, right? Yes. There's nothing on me that would be valuable to you. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> when you pull your gun on someone, now you all about the federal crimes. Now you're ready to throw all your life away for the Ricola and two dimes I got in my bag. Why are you doing that? <laughs> Not the Ricola. And the uh, criminal I was thinking of, the old lady, was Doris Payne. Do you mm-hmm. kn- do you remember which past episode you discussed her? Oh, I'm going to have to think about that. Okay, I- no problem. If we figure it out, we'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Um, that's a very right. interesting story, you guys. But thank it you, is. Alexis. Mm-hmm. Okay, why don't we take a quick, quick break before we jump into the author and context? Okay, sounds good. <laughs> We're back. Okay, so Kari, we have covered Colson Whitehead's book before, but do you have information that you'd like to share about him <laughs> along with some context for this book? So we haven't covered this book before, but I know what you're saying. We've covered him as an author when we featured The Nickel Boys. Yeah. Um, so he's a two-time Pulitzer Prize winner, which is just very rare. Um, he's so decorated. You and I got to see an interview with him uh, where we received autographed copies of this book we're covering today, Harlem Shuffle. And I think that was last year. Um, so I don't have anything to add except that he's an amazing writer. Um, I've been thinking about it and I am going to spoil this book because Ooh. if There's no way not to. Um, There are three main chunks in the plot. And I have to be able to spoil it to talk about them thoroughly. However, I'll say that Colson writes with so much color. uh, It won't it won't spoil the book for you. If you are interested in the story, you're going to get so much out of um, reading it. The way he pulls comparisons, the way he effortlessly uh, compares characters to their locations, to their setting. Uh, He's just a he's. A really great author, which we all know. And that's Colson Whitehead. If you want more on them, listen to our Nickel Boys episode. One thing I remember about that interview we watched is that he watched um, 60 to 70 heist movies in preparation for writing this novel. Oh, okay, Very cool. Yeah. And I remember he was saying this is don't think of it as like a. Again, Mission Impossible type of, oh, no, he said Ocean's Eleven type of heist. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is a very lo-fi. This is like, you know, criminals in the 60s trying to get by type of heist. And in that way, it's not about the heist. It's about the characters. So Yeah, definitely the characters. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that. Now let's hear a brief synopsis without spoilers before our deep dive. Okay. You did such a good job at the beginning of the show. Um, this is what I came up with on my run today <laughs> as I was trying to outrun a tornado. Anyway, real life, back, real life, real life. Shoot. Okay. So here we go. Orphaned in high school, Carney worked his way through college and owns his own furniture store in 1960s Harlem. He's a family man living the American dream. But some dreams are no different than nightmares. Fighting both familial and internal influences, he must outlast three separate heists to secure the life of those he loves most. Will he survive or will he lose himself trying to find his dreams? Mm, I like that. Very nice. That was a synopsis for real. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Alexis, what were your first thoughts of Harlem Shuffle? Okay, so... um, I think I found out about this book just before... uh, 
us going to see his interview. So okay. I was excited to read it. And then to hear him talk about it, I was even more excited. I'm, I don't know why we took so long to read it, but <laughs> I was excited to read it. And I like the cover, too. Mm-hmm. How about you? Who do you think would enjoy reading this book? If you're a fan of James McBride, um, we cover Deacon King Kong on our show. If you like that book, I think that type of storytelling, again, set in New York, full of um, a colorful characters from one neighborhood. Um, I think you'll I think you'll really love this writing as well. OK, so Kari, are you ready to take a spoiler filled deep dive into Harlem Shuffle? I am. And I'll rely on you for a lot of the point um, plot pieces. I also want to apologize to our audience for never getting that relit episode out last week. I feel like, you know, maybe you're mad at me, readers. You should be. It's disgusting. I mean, we had a lot going on. We got a lot Mm -hmm. going on. We'll talk about it later. All good stuff. Right, Alexis? All good stuff. All good stuff. So thank you for your patience with us. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for your patience. And now we are ready. Mm-hmm. A deep dive into Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead. Part one. I mean to get you in trouble. <laughs> the book starts with a quote and the quote is this. Carney was only slightly bent when it came to being crooked. Now, what does that mean um, for our main character? What does that descriptive sentence mean as it pertains to our protagonist, Alexis? Well, that means he had some experience with dirt, but maybe he wasn't fully into it as a daily thing. Yeah, Kearney would probably describe himself as an honest criminal. He probably doesn't even see himself as a criminal. His crimes Mm. (laughs) include selling stolen appliances like car radios to a kind shop owner named Aronowitz. Yes, Um, there's an agreement between these two men, Kearney and Aronowitz. Neither really know the source of the items Kearney brings in. And neither cares. So these mm-hmm. items just show up at Carney's doorstep and Carney sells them to Aronowitz for a profit. OK, to Carney, his occupation is survival and he's excelling at it. So a little bit about Carney. We'll, we'll spend most of our time with him. He lost both parents while still in school. He had to raise himself. Um, And he even like had to give an excuse to the landlord, find out how to dress himself. His mom died when he was really, really young from pneumonia. And his dad, I believe, was shot while he was in high school or died by some violent means. Yeah, some violent means. Yeah, his dad lived a rough life. So given these cards, he's played an honest enough hand in his opinion. He's not violent like his father was. And he lends on credit to the community because he has a big heart. He doesn't allow the stresses of work to stop him from loving his wife. And um, he even graduated from college with no support from anyone. So Carney mm-hmm. owns a furniture store now that his and that's like his main gig. Um, Carney's Furniture is the name of it. It's been around for five years, outlasting more than a few competitors and proving Carney had a business mind to match his big heart. Carney's wife's name is Elizabeth. Let's meet her. They were in school together, although Elizabeth don't even remember going to school with him. (laughs) But Carney remembers her. He never tried to talk to her then because she was out of his league. So he didn't even bother. Elizabeth comes from a good family. She's a little naive, but I should say a little innocent and not naive. Yeah, don't. Yeah, I would say innocent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's like, um, you know, upper class black 
community member from an upper class black family, but she sees through all the hypocrisy in people's yes. words and actions. Yeah. And she loves Carney and he loves her. Okay. Yeah. She's but she is like sweet like a cupcake. Okay. So Yeah. So she she's not been presented with anything that she has to try and figure out so that she would be naive. Elizabeth's family hates Kearney and prays for his business's demise daily so that they can accept Elizabeth back in their arms with a pat on the back and an I told you so. So his Mm. in-laws hate him. They want him to fail and they want their baby girl back home. No matter them two married people, Carney and Elizabeth, even got a child together. Mm -hmm. His father-in-law calls Carney a rug peddler. Um, (laughs) her people low down yeah they they are Mm -hmm. (laughs) and again it should be noted that Elizabeth is quite proud of her husband and their interactions are kind and thoughtful throughout the book so they clearly love each other now let's meet some more family members Freddie is Carney's cousin Freddie was sometimes a bad kind of thin in Carney's eyes so that leads you to believe maybe there's some drug issue going on too Sometimey with the drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, Freddie still lives with his mom, Carney's aunt. Freddie has no common sense. He often shacks up with women as stupid as he is. And um, if Carney is, um, uh, what did it say? Only slightly bit when it came to being cricket, then just know that Freddie is a cricket criminal. And one day Freddie asked to meet Carney about a crime he thinks would benefit them both. Sipping beers. Freddie started in on his enthusiasm for the new soul food place down the block. Carney waited for him to get around to what was on his mind. It took Dave, baby Cortez on the jukebox with that darn organ song, loud and manic. Freddie leaned over. You heard me talk about this Negro every once in a while, Miami Joe. Was he run numbers? No, he said, dude, where's that purple suit with the hat? Carney thought he remembered him, maybe. It wasn't like purple suits were a rarity in the neighborhood. Miami Joe wasn't into numbers. He did stick-ups, Freddie said. Knocked over a truck full of Hoovers and Queens last Christmas. They said he did that Fisher job back when. What's that? He broke into a safe at Gimbel's, Freddie said. Like Carney was supposed to know. Like he subscribed to Criminal Gazette or something. Freddie was disappointed, but continued to puff up Miami Joe. He had a big job in mind and he approached Freddie about it. Carney frowned. Armed robbery was nuts. In former days, his cousin stayed away from stuff that heavy. It's going to be cash and a lot of stones that's got to get taken care of. They asked me if I knew anyone for that, and I said, I have just the guy. Who? Freddie raised his eyebrows. Carney looked over at Bert. Hang him in a museum. The barman was a pot-bellied portrait of Hear No Evil. You told them my name? Once I said I knew someone, I had to. Told them my name? You know I don't deal with that. I sell home goods. Brought that TV by last week. I didn't hear no complaints. It was gently used. No reason to complain. And those other things, not just TVs. You never asked where they came from. It's none of my business. You never asked all those times. And it's been a lot of times, man. Because you know where they come from. Don't act all G-officer. That's news to me. 
put it like that, an outside observer might get the idea that Carney trafficked quite frequently in stolen goods. But that's not how he saw it. There was a natural flow of goods in and out through people's lives, from here to there, a churn of property. And Ray Carney facilitated that churn as a middleman, legit. Anyone who looked at his books would come to the same conclusion. The state of his books was a prideful matter with Carney, rarely shared with anyone because no one seemed very interested when he talked about his time in business school and the classes he excelled in. Like accounting, he told this to his cousin. Middleman, like a fence. I sell furniture. Negro, please. It was true that his cousin did bring a necklace by from time to time, or a watch or two, top-notch, or a few rings in a silver box engraved with initials. And it was true that Carney had an associate on Canal Street who helped these items on to the next leg of their journey from time to time. Now that he added up all those occasions, they numbered more than he thought, but that was not the point. Nothing like what you're talking about now. You don't know what you can do, Ray Ray. You never have, that's why you have me a bunch of hoods with pistols, and what they got with those pistols was crazy. This ain't stealing candy from Mr. Nevins, Freddie. It's not candy, Freddie said. He smiled. It's the Hotel Teresa. Two guys tumbled through the front door, brawling. Bert reached for Jack Lightning, the baseball bat he kept by the register. Summer had come to Harlem. So thank you for that, Alexis. Alexis has set up the first heist. So <laughs> Freddie, his cousin, loved getting Carney into some mess. Now he was with a mixed crowd that you don't play with. You don't play with these people. Right. This wasn't like stealing candy like when they were young. Okay. So the Hotel Teresa. Let me tell you about Teresa, the Hotel Teresa. This back in the day, black celebrities lived here, partied here and went went here to be seen. It was glamorous, a parade of Negro excellence, or at least it once was. It was once headquarters of the Negro world. Um, that's how it's described in the book. Now, though, you're likely to rub elbows with pimps, working girls and ex-dancers in the hotel's lobby. It's got 300 rooms, safe deposit boxes, and jewelry. <laughs> jewelry. <laughs> Part two, the heist. So we, the reader, know right away that the heist was successful, number one, and that two, a ruby was taken in with all of the loot. So they, they don't try to hide that because this book really isn't about any of the heists. Right. And we'll explain that more later. Um, so that ruby that they stole in the heist belongs to a mobster named Chink Montague, a man you do not play with, and he wants the gem returned. The crew meets at Carney's furniture store to regroup after the theft. Now, Carney wasn't with them stealing. Again, Freddie has set up Carney as the middleman. So the idea is um, Carney can hold some of the goods. He can be a place where they securely hold um, some things until all the heat dies down. Mm -hmm. So the crew enters. Let me try to describe them. Among them is number <laughs> one, <laughs> Miami Joe. Miami Joe is flashy. He's got a good memory. His expertise was letting fools talk and listening to what they said. Mm -hmm. So he would go out drinking with Freddie, Carney's um, cousin, and let Freddie talk and talk and talk and make a mental note of all the things Freddie was saying, like the fact that I have a cousin who owns a furniture store. <laughs> okay. Yep. Um, 
And he found a weakness, Miami Joe did, um, in the hotel security, thanks to a talkative waitress that worked there. Miami Miami Joe also relished talking, um, taking Northern Blacks down a notch as they were always mocking his Southern upbringing. So he was like, I'm going to show you something. You think the Hotel Teresa is that great? I'm going <laughs> to rob it. <laughs> so that's, that's Miami Joe. Then there's Arthur. <laughs> they call him the Jackie Robinson of safe cracking because before him, safe cracking was always a white man's game. So now we got Arthur. He's the Jackie Robinson of safe cracking. I know. It's shameful. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, Pepper. Pepper is silent, calculating and terrifying. Pepper's a killer. No, n- no way to, you know, beat around the bush. Don't. It's- <laughs> Just don't. Mm-mm. It said that as a baby, Pepper belted his mama the first time she tried to kiss him. <laughs> He's been tough a long time, yeah. And then there's Freddie, Carney's cousin, aka the fool, aka another set of hands. Mm-hmm. So they wait for a vulnerable hour and use guns to intimidate hostages, making their way to the safe deposit boxes. Cracking these is a noisy job. And for guests that called the front desk, they excused the ruckus by saying the elevator was under repair. And if anyone ventured out to verify the elevator wasn't wasn't working, then they were taken as a hostage. The job was done and the bandits were gone before authorities even knew what happened. No one was hurt, by the way. Um, but the gossip is that it was the Italian mafia trying to teach the blacks a lesson. Because when did it take place? It, what? On Juneteenth. Oh, it was on Juneteenth. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the audacity. The audacity. Mm-hmm. And there's a line like Juneteenth. I never even heard of it. Sound like some country stuff. Why are you proud that you knew you was free months later or weeks after it was announced? Stop yes. celebrating that. Can you believe it? Yeah. So anyway, Carney hasn't been in company with such men since his father died. And now they're all in his furniture store. You're like, what? why? Yeah, he's very uncomfortable. So the men talk and apparently Chinks Montague has a girl he's grooming to make a celebrity. And that Ruby, the one that the crew stole, is part of the investment in this woman. So that's why Chinks wants the gem back. And so um, remember, Chinks wasn't with them on the job. Chinks was storing the Ruby in the safe deposit box and the crew stole it. And Chinks is like a big deal. He's a big mobster. So while the crew is discussing their next move, Carney thinks of the last time he had this many men in his office. And it's a very interesting scene where he thinks back to this sofa he was trying to remove from the office. It was like him and like six other it's like six Italian men and him. And in the end, they decided to just chop up the sofa and throw it away. No one missed it. <laughs> and so in Carney's mind, he's like any moment now, the men are going to realize what doesn't belong in this room. Me. And I just hope that I don't meet the same fate as the sofa. Mm-hmm. OK, mm-hmm. hope I don't get chopped up. So they warn Carney, all the crew as they're talking, they go, oh, yeah, Carney, uh, the cops are going to be sniffing around here. Whoever Chinks has on his payroll at the precinct, they'll be coming asking you questions. And Carney glares at his cousin, Freddie, like, how are we going to get out of this one? Part three. Cool. Like AC. It's time. That's for, that's, that made me think of my dad because he used to always say he was cool like AC, which is a decidedly <laughs> not cool thing to say. 
So it's time to visit the in-laws. Leland, which is Carney's father-in-law, just bought a new air conditioner. It feels good, but Carney can't afford it. And, you know, it's a shame because Elizabeth is pregnant now, too. Mm -hmm. And she recently fainted from the heat. And so Leland's like, yeah, get you one of these. No one Carney can't afford it. Mm -hmm. Um, By the way, Leland is a black accountant and he hobnobs with big wigs at the Dumont Club a private paper bag club of movers and shakers. What does that mean, Alexis? If you don't pass the paper bag test, and that is for the ranges of blackness, shades mm-hmm. of black, you are not let in. Yeah, so they're colorist. And the club is named after Alexander Dumas, the um, author, of <laughs> course. Yeah, the audacity. The audacity. And it's full of men that Leland would have preferred his daughter marry instead of this rug peddler. Also, um, they, uh, Elizabeth and Carney, already have a daughter at this point. So, yes, Elizabeth is pregnant. And they also have a, a baby girl named May who has Carney's skin color. She's darker skin. And it's said that the mother-in-law cringes when she looks at the baby. Mm-hmm. So these aren't great people, you know. So while the in-laws and his wife are making small and big talk, Carney allows his mind to wander to his troubles, to his secret troubles. Um, there's not a scenario out of this situation that doesn't end with Freddie killed. And all through his life, Carney has been Freddie's protector. So Freddie is the pressure. He realizes he's the crew's insurance that Carney will do right by them because there's no reason for him to be there. Freddie's useless. Right. But by keeping Freddie in their crew, it's like telling Carney, you better do right by us or you won't see Freddie no more. So the meal begins and Leland, uh, the father-in-law, offers Carney sweet potatoes. And he says, you love sweet potatoes, don't you, Carney? Ha <laughs> ha. So he's referring, <laughs> they're terrible. So he's referring to this time when Carney was a child and he and his father woke up Christmas morning with nothing but one sweet potato between them to eat, to share. That same afternoon after they split that one sweet potato, his father took off and Carney didn't see him again for a week. These stories are like entertainment for his in-laws and Carney shared them too freely before he knew what kind of people these were. The kind that would stick steel into your soft spots and laugh. They're really ugly people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So while everybody's talking, Carney decides what he's going to do. He's going to make two phone calls. The first will be to Chinks Montague. He's going to give him Arthur's name. Arthur's one of the guys. He's the um, Jackie Robinson of safe cracking. Right. Number two, he's going to um, call Arthur, do him that favor and let him know, hey, some gangsters are going to come by. So you should leave town. <laughs> That's his plan. OK. This way, Freddie would be kept safe. This is Carney's reasoning. And Freddie being safe is his number one priority. That's his cousin. Mm, that's his cousin. The next morning, Freddie shows up at his family's door. He's like, hey. And Carney's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, come meet me across the street. So they go across the street and he goes, hey, guess what? This Freddie. Um, guess what? And Carney's like, what? Arthur dead. He like say what now? Hey, mm-hmm. Arthur's dead. OK, so there goes Carney's plan. Time passes <laughs> and really just days, maybe even just hours. 
Carney is enlisted as Pepper's driver. So they got Carney under his they thumb now. <laughs> um, Carney looks at Pepper and there's like blood on his jeans. <laughs> Pepper ain't no joke. So Pepper, Pepper uses Carney to drive him around. He shakes down junkies and uses tactics of intimidation for why? To find Miami Joe because Pepper's convinced that Miami Joe killed Arthur and took the crew's money because Arthur was keeping the money secure. So now no one knows where the money is and Arthur is dead. Mm-mm. Pepper's like, it's Miami Joe, one of my crew members. You know, ain't no loyalty among thieves. So he also let Carney know, hey, boy, I remember you. I remember you as a kid. I was a, an acquaintance of your father's back in the day. Truth be told, uh, Carney forgot all about this, but Pepper and his dad were like friends as much as thieves can be friends. OK, <laughs> so, yeah. <clears throat> so Pepper continues the search for Miami Joe. Someone says Miami Joe went back home. And this is a very funny, colorful scene. <laughs> Pepper goes, where Miami? And they tell him they don't call him Chicago Joe, do they? <laughs> now, this Pepper about to kill this man and yes. the man can't help but to be annoyed. <laughs> Do they call him Chicago Joe? I didn't think so. Yeah, Miami. The man retorts. You got to read this book. The writing. Exquisite. Chef's kids. So Carney drops off Pepper and begins thinking about his day, how his day was spent. And he's like, you know, Pepper is right. With one crew member dead and two missing now, the finger was pointing to Miami Joe. Carney decides to search for Joe himself because, again, if he finds Joe, Maybe somehow he can keep Freddie safe. He finds him. (laughs) He finds him. And Miami Joe is ready to shoot Carney down. Miami Joe. With a barrel (laughs) of the gun to his face. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So Miami Joe pulls the trigger and the chase is on. Carney and Miami Joe end up in Carney's furniture store. Miami Joe's pistol is pointed at Carney. All the while, Carney is thinking of his family. His in-laws want Elizabeth, by, by the way, to move back home. Um, they've made this very clear lately. And Carney's like, maybe that's a good idea, but I ain't going to let them do it because I hate them so much. Because <laughs> they low down dirty. <laughs> so he tells Miami Joe, I have a family. And Miami Joe looks bored. (laughs) (laughs) Miami Joe proceeds then to rob Carney, pocketing money from his office drawers. But then both Miami Joe and Carney see a man pop up out of the basement. They see him at the same time and it's too late. It was Pepper. The floor is covered in Miami Joe's blood. Um, What do I do with the body? (laughs) Carney asks Pepper. You got a truck? Pepper replies. You my Carney son. You'll figure it out. Yep. And Carney dumps the body and cleans up the blood. He figures it out. Now, two crew members are dead, Arthur and Miami Joe. So far, the cash and the jewels have not been retrieved, except a few weeks later, the ruby, the ruby necklace that that big gangster Chinks Montague was looking for arrives at Carney's door via mail. (laughs) It was mailed to his store with a note. You can split this with your cousin. The note (laughs) is from Pepper. (laughs) So Carney held on to it for about a year before using the money for a new apartment for his family. Um, He thinks to himself, I may be broke, but I ain't cricket. Although he's not so sure lately. (laughs) Part four of five. Part four. Taking pictures. 
So <laughs> Carney now has a little girl who he had already named Mame. But now he has a little son and Elizabeth. And they're living a little better these days. Mm-hmm. The store is even larger. They're moving oh, up like the Jefferson. That's right. <laughs> to the east side. He even mm-hmm. sells outdoor furniture now. Indoor, outdoor furniture. He got all the furniture you, you need. He, In fact, he has a slogan and it's yes. like, if you don't see it here, you don't need it. Something like that. If you don't see it, you don't That's need right. it. Mm-hmm. He like printed it in papers and stuff. He doing good. Yes. Yes. Um, but with more money comes more problems. So Carney is now pacifying an officer to look the other way with money and two of Chink's men with regular cash payments. He doesn't have the heart to tally how much he's paid to these goons over the last two years. For Chink's, Carney is a fence. So Chink's never found out about that ruby that um, Carney eventually sold. But Chink's fell out with his fence. And so he's now using Carney. And the fence is like a middleman who will sell stolen goods for cash. Okay. And then Chinks gets some money and then Carney gets a, a profit from that also. And without asking permission, Pepper now uses the furniture store as his answering service. So people call with messages, very illegal messages, and Pepper calls to retrieve those messages and don't take your time about giving him his messages. When they call, Check a message. <laughs> That's right. So Carney's in deep, right? Um, an ambitious lawyer named Pierce is trying to convince Carney at the same time to join the Dumont Club. And and um Carney's like, I'm a little too brown for that paperback club. Right. And right. Pierce is like, I'm as brown as you. This club is changing. And so Carney's thinking about it. And he's like, the, the in Carney's mind, the men in this club are all chumps. All of them. Every single one of them is a mark. Um, and Elizabeth, too, is like, why you want to be in with them? They're yeah. terrible. I've been around them in my whole life. And I don't care if they have like power and money. They're just terrible people. They're not like you. But Carney thinks these are men that could help his business grow. It would be an investment, would help him For secure his future, mm-hmm. his family. Yes. He's a family man. Mm hmm. So Carney gives a man named Duke $500 to encourage the club to accept him, to grease some palms. Duke happily accepts the money and Carney is still not voted in. In fact, his father-in-law are among those who vote against him. (laughs) So low down. (laughs) To Carney, none of this sits right. Now, Duke took the money knowing Carney would never be accepted. Knowing. Duke robbed him of $500 in a way that was so demeaning. And then when Carney went to go get his money, Duke is like, call the police. Get this ghetto trash out of my office. And so Mm. Carney's like, "Okay, I got you. So back in college, we take a little detour here. Um, Carney learned a word that was mispronounced as Dorvay. And it's this um, half sleep, half awake time of day or period um so this is the time around 2 a.m and maybe 4 a.m when the whole world seems to be asleep and you can do whatever you want (laughs) okay so carney starts to spend more time with his family during human hours (laughs) And more time plotting revenge against Duke during Dorvay. <laughs> so he'll eat with his family. He eat with his family more than he ever has. He go to bed with his wife and then he wakes up at two and Scott, um, plots and schemes. 
So during one of these Dorvay periods, he calls up Freddie. Freddie meets him. Freddie looks sick. He looks like too skinny. He's hanging out with a white friend named Linus these days. And Carney doesn't know what his cousin is really up to. Linus and Freddie met running a scam at a party. Um, Linus had just got out of a um, sanatorium where he was being treated for inverted tendencies. He's a homosexual. Um, and they were performing electric shock on him. He pretended to be whatever everyone wanted him to be so that they would let him go. Linus's family is one of the richest and most powerful in New York City. They're also very patient. They can keep throwing him into a sanatorium until he acts right. OK, that's how they feel. Carney asks Freddie if he's selling drugs and Freddie finds himself disgusted by the hypocrisy of his cousin. Mm. You acting like you clean, brother. Mm. Okay, so he leaves the diner with Linus and leaves Carney alone with his thoughts. Carney's like, okay, time to continue with my plan then. Carney gives Duke's name to the officer he's been paying to look the other way uh, from his own crimes. The officer is like, look, Carney, I wish I could help you, but I know Duke. He's well connected. If you want me to bring him down, you got to give me something solid. Mm -hmm. So... What does Carney do? He begins visiting a prostitute. Why? No, 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 you guys. She's plan number two. When the police officer didn't work out, he pitched the woman um, his scheme and the woman ag agreed right away. Her name is Miss Laura, by the way. Miss Laura is like, you uh, revenge on Duke? Yep, I'm in. <laughs> I got him. <laughs> and Carney is like, don't you want to know the rest of the plan? She's like, I guess you could tell me, but let's just get to it. <laughs> and hurry up and get I to hate it. Duke. <laughs> so Duke is outwardly like a very noble man. But secretly, he sees this prostitute regularly. She knows secrets about him and she hates his guts. So as time passes, the cop can't find anything heavy enough to pin Duke. And Miss Laura is getting impatient with Carney because she wants Duke to get got mm -hmm. already. She mm -hmm. also wants her pimp off her back. And that's part of the deal. So as now that we learn the first person Carney brought into this scheme was Pepper. So this is the second quote unquote scheme or kind of heist in the book. Yeah. The first one was the one at um, Teresa Hotel that Carney wasn't involved in. And this one Carney is leading. OK. Um, Pepper acts as a spy for Carney, performing stakeouts, if you will. First, he gathers information on Miss Laura. Her story checks out. Then Carney hires Pepper to spy on the drug dealer. Carney suspects Freddie, his cousin, is working for. But Freddie's story checks out, too. It doesn't seem like he's selling drugs with that guy. Um, the entire time, Carney is still acting as guardian for his cousin. No matter what he does, his cousin's safety is always top of mind. So when Pepper finds the info he gives, Carney leads to a drug dealer's arrest. Um, so Pepper gave Carney some information and then he looked in the paper or someone told him, Hey, that drug dealer was arrested. Pepper put two and two together and he is not happy because Carney got him doing cop work. <laughs> yes, he was hot like fire. How hot was he? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. He was so hot that he waited outside the furniture store and punched Carney in the face harder than anyone ever has. His face is deformed for days. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like two halves of Carney were colliding into each other. This family man and this not so uh, on the up and up guy. Um, it should be said, too, that Pepper would have killed him, but he still remembers him as his friend's son. Yeah. So yep, yep, he let yep. him off easy with the deformation. Um, this formation. I don't know that word. 
Okay, so one September, you guys, two items appear in the New York City paper. The first is the arrest of a pimp. The other bigger item was the disappearance of a man named Duke, an upstanding member of the Negro community. His wife has no clue what's happened to him. Where is he? We don't know where he is. Only three people understand the link between these two stories. A man named Zippo, Miss Laura, and who? Carney. Carney. (laughs) You paying attention. Yes. Yes, Carney. The pimp arrest was for Laura. And then Duke's disappearance was for everyone else. Turned out Zippo didn't like Duke either. If you keep talking to people, everybody hates Duke. So what they did was, um, remember Duke regularly visits Miss Laura. So they drugged him and then they put him in outfits (laughs) and they took pictures of him, (laughs) Mm y'all. Embarrassing outfits. And it was so... um, degrading and like below Carney that he didn't even feel like it was revenge (laughs) until those photos were published in the city's papers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then all this stuff started coming out. Once people saw him dressed in tutus and stuff with a fairy (laughs) wand in his hand, passed out with a prostitute, (laughs) they was like, I knew Duke was like, what did they call it? Um, his moral hygiene, something yes, about it was yes. questionable. Mm-hmm. I knew it. And then people are like, hey, he did me dirty. He did me dirty too. Hey, he did All me these- dirty too. Me too, me too. And then the worst part of it was that um, the blacks in the community were trying to form, I think, a bank, Liberty National. Yeah. And they were putting their own money into the, the they were, um, you know, investors yeah. for this, this idea. They were investing in the capital for the, the seed money. Well, it turns out Duke had been embezzling money from that fund, from that fund. And he took the seed money for himself. It's really sad. Then he went missing. So the photos came out. All of this, all of this truth came out about him. And then he went missing. And about Liberty National, many Dumas members had their personal funds in it, like we said, including Carney's in-laws, who invested the majority of their wealth into this idea. And how were they affected? Oh, man, they starting to live pitiful. (laughs) And now Carney's like, this is revenge. You called it stray. (laughs) You know, it's almost too sweet to be true. Now I'm living better than my uppity in-laws. This has been great. They were catching them from all ends. And hey, hey, I'm Uh, sorry to hear that. So just to give you an idea, at one point, the in-laws live on the street named after their family. Then they have to sell that property. They move to another property. Then they move to another property. They poor, okay? Um, One property they lived in, it was some juice leaking from the ceiling and they thought a mouse had died. Nope. The neighbors upstairs had died and it was their remains leaking into the building. Which showed how poorly the building was built. (laughs) Okay? What a turn they take. (laughs) However, Carney and Elizabeth, oh, they doing well. The children, oh, they great. Mm -hmm. Learned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, now we get to the final heist of the book and it's been all jokes and giggles up until this point but it's about to get real and I think I'm going to save that oh 
For what? For you readers. What do you think? Should I just run it down right quick? Just run it down. I'm Why don't invested. Why you give it to Alexis? Tell I'm us what invested. happened. Okay. I don't, I don't know if I can tell it as well as you, but I'll give you can, it a go. You can tell it better. And one, one thing about this book, it's like a video game where you meet all the players in the first chapter or the first few chapters. You don't know how they'll play in the plot, but it's like a video game where you got to beat this boss to beat this boss. And remember, the top boss is basically, you think it's like Chink's mind you but uh-uh it's like that sketchy character linus freddie's white friend and his family right so let's proceed so yeah. one day freddie comes into the store to the furniture store and is like hey hold on to this suitcase this briefcase <laughs> and don't open it he's like something might what? fly out he said don't <laughs> open it something might fly out Kind so like, he put what? it on up into the his new safe, locks it down, leaves uh-huh. it be. Okay, minds his business for a little while until somebody come a looking for him, asking questions, yep. want to know what went down, and he like I I don't know, and mm-hmm. then he started looking for Freddie and he can't find him, and then his yep. aunt's house get broken into. Oh wait, no, before then he goes to where Freddie was saying. Oh, that's and right. And oh, I thought there. that was after his friend Linus is dead from an overdose. Yeah. Now, Linus how did that happen? Dead. So then yeah. he goes back to the aunt's house and finds out her house was trashed. So lots of stuff is starting to happen. And Connie is worried about his cousin, Freddie, as he always is. And it's like, where mm-hmm. is Freddie? What's going on? And then I believe this is when um, he... Oh, Freddie shows up <laughs> eating a sandwich. Freddie so, shows up. Okay, so, so all of Kearney's contacts have turned their back on him because word on the street is Kearney's dead mm. or he going to be dead. Yeah. And Freddie dead. And it's, well, the word on the street is Kearney and his brother are as good as dead. His brother is Freddie, Freddie. really his cousin, but everyone thinks his brother. So um, Kearney's freaking out. He goes to his shop and his cousin is sitting in a chair eating a sandwich. <laughs> talking about hey you gave me the key seven years ago you gave me a key you never asked for it back i thought you wanted me to keep it good thing you didn't give me the combination for your safe so he runs down freddie runs down the story turns out and to me the story was kind of (laughs) hilarious turns out freddie's friend linus is a Goes to his parents' house, who are these very prominent people in the community, really running the um, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, running the world at this point, the New York area. And they go in and he robs his father's safe, right? And out mm-hmm. of it, he takes a jewel and some papers are included in that and a few other things, right? So that's what's in this briefcase. And while he's there, robbing his father his father catches him and they get into a little tussle yeah because his father is supposed to be out on a date with his mom but they date other people they old by the way just old dirty people mm-hmm. so they both dating separate people and another cut co- they dating another couple so the mom was out with her boyfriend <laughs> and the dad didn't have nobody that wanted to date him at the time <laughs> at so the time. he ended up being home <laughs> and caught his son in the act calls him names they get into a physical altercation and Freddie said it, it wasn't like they was fighting. They was more holding each other's <laughs> arms and screaming. 
Yep. The description of that is just really hilarious, okay? <laughs> but anyway, so he tells them the story and they run off. Again, he knocks his father into a chair and makes, yeah. <laughs> makes it off with, this, with the goods. And of course, a few days later, he's found dead. And so these people are now coming to look for him. The lawyer of this prominent Vanderbilt family is coming to look for him. And so they show up at Carney's place like, what's going on? Oh, yeah. A lot of officers on payroll. So two officers show up. So um, Pepper and Carney have made up in their way because Carney's like, I need your help. You about the toughest person I know in the world. And if I ever needed somebody tough on my side, it's right now. So Pepper is like, fine. Pepper even like there's a moment where he has dinner with Carney's family and the kids are like, <laughs> oh, what do you do for work? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Um, it so yeah, so the Van Wyke or Van Van Wyck people, that's the Vanderbilt family. They got officers, and so Pepper goes to the furniture store, and two officers are there. They get into a shooting match, mm-hmm. and no one dies, but it's a lot of uh, how do you say uh, tomfoolery. And then they approach uh, Carney on the street. This lawyer and a couple and another guy approach and Carney gets away. He get on the train and get away. I thought because they ain't going to get on no train. <laughs> that's a dirty place for dirty people. You ever want to escape somebody that's rich and trying to find you? Get on the train. Get on You'll the train. Safe. Get on the train. So then they show up. They like meet us here at this spot. And it's at their their hotel or their home, a business, the business suite and a conference yeah. room. So they show up at this and like conference Park room. Avenue. Yes. Yeah. And he like, ooh, so Pepper and Carney show up at this spot. And at this point, they have kidnapped kidnapped Freddie. So Freddie has mm-hmm. gone missing and they got him held captive. And at this point, they've given back. So the big gem that Linus stole from his parents was this emerald. Don't nobody even care about that. They don't. They say, like, there's more stuff in there. I want it all back. And, and Carney's like, like, what is it? So he opens the suitcase. It's like a baseball card. It's something that might be an account number. It's some papers. He can't figure out what this family wants. So he just wants to give them the suitcase and get Freddie back. So they meet in this conference room and they go down. But it didn't have to. I mean, so. Yeah, I do think Pepper just kind (laughs) of. So Pepper was mad because he. So the uh, lawyer has two quote unquote bodyguards. It's the two officers that Pepper already got into a fight with at the furniture store. So Pepper already hate these guys. So (laughs) once they get the suitcase back, the. Um. Lawyer is all smug and he's like, look outside. Your cousin is out there and they see him in a truck, but his body isn't moving. And so Carney is like, well, let's go. And I don't remember why, but Pepper just starts shooting people. (laughs) He did just start shooting people. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because one of the officers was like, "Um, your cousin laughed when Linus was fighting his dad. And so his dad didn't like that. So we have to tune him up. Oh, that's right. Because it sounded like they killed his um, Linus. No, it sounded like they killed Freddie. Oh, I thought it sounded like they killed Linus. It was actually Freddie. Because Linus died of an overdose of his own hands. Oh, it wasn't No foul them. play there. Okay. Ah, no, okay. So, so they gave they mm-hmm. gave um, Freddie a good whooping. Okay. He got a real beat down so much so that he needed to be carried off to the uh, hospital after they, after Pepper shot up 
you know, shut up the business suite. Pepper kills both officers. Um, and the lawyer is like, oh, you've got guns, guns, and y'all got violence, violence. I was just trying to, um, <laughs> I just wanted the papers. Arrogant. I don't, I just do the papers. I just please wanted the alone. papers. Um, His mouth is moving mm-hmm. and no worries are coming out. He is in shock. And so they just leave. They, and they just take leave. Freddie to the hospital. And um, Carney's like, hey, Pepper, you shot up pretty bad. You want to go to the hospital? And Pepper's like, uh-uh, I just came from there. I'm going home. <laughs> I know a guy. He says, I know a guy. I'm good. <laughs> and he is. He lives. And but shall you know we end it there? Uh, should we? I think so. We ain't going to say, oh. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, you ready for a break? Yeah, let's take a quick break. Sounds good. <laughs> Alexis didn't want me to tell y'all, but Freddie died. <laughs> his last words were, I didn't mean to get you into trouble. And that really sums up the whole book, doesn't it? <laughs> it does really well. Mm-hmm. So Alexis, what did you think of Harlem Shuffle and would you recommend this book? Listen, this book has humor. It has really solid um heist if you will or um crime <laughs> stories yes yeah. the details are rich the way he describes the um the accounts of the story and i like that we're not necessarily there when the heist actually happens but we get it later as an after that just really goes to that it's not about the crime but it's really about the relationships within the book and I really loved it the setup the payback the family theft the hotel robbery I loved them all all of them were very good they got my attention and had me wondering every step of the way what was going to happen I did try to figure it out along the way I'm just trying this new approach of you know getting into the story okay. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> But I enjoyed it and I would recommend it. Um, For those of you um, who care about language, there is some strong language in this book. Mm -hmm. Kari, would you recommend it? And what is your final verdict? Yes, I would recommend it. It's a really great book. This is a book where every chapter. So the what keeps you on the edge is not if the heist will work out. It's right. if Carney is going to live. Is yeah. Freddie going to live? Yeah. That's what you care about most throughout the book. And this is as much about Carney as it is about Freddie um, throughout the story. And then it also um, it, another character is Harlem, which is going through its own thing mm-hmm. um, right now. And it becomes a cycle of struggle and fighting and peace and struggle and fighting. And then a little bit of peace. And then in the end, you have to ask, was any of the struggle worth it? Yeah. Are we all just where we started? And Carney in his situation, I think he's a little worse. He's got more money, more money. Yeah. Uh huh. But he lost Freddie, who was so important to him. Um, yeah. And and I mean, now his name is kind of infamous and people know all oh, you don't mess with Carney. He went up in there with Pepper and shot up the place and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Exactly. But that's never what Carney wanted. A name in the streets. He just wanted safety for his family. Um, so, yeah, I love this. I love the fact that it's telling you it's about one thing and it's about something else. I love when books do that. And um, 
you know, Whitehead is an amazing author. He writes with so much color and so much intention. Every word makes you feel like these people really did exist. This really did happen. He gives you just enough details without boring you with the minutia of every single thing. And the way the heist is described is perfect. It's just telling you the highlights, just the stuff you care about and the funny stuff they said (laughs) between each other. And I don't know how you write dialogue like this. Um, Another again, McBride does this, too, where you laugh out loud at the way the characters talk to each other. Like when he said Miami Joe went back home, where to Miami? (laughs) And and so he's about to kill this man. It looked like the man goes, they don't call him Chicago Joe, do they? (laughs) That made me laugh out loud. But there are a lot of moments like that. There are a lot of moments within this book like that. I also like the insertion of the um, the historical (laughs) facts in there. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, And he he had to do a lot of research to put himself in this time period accurately. Um, Some things like there's a scene where Carney buys a camera. I know Whitehead. Um, Polaroid you know, researched <laughs> Polaroids at these times he did the work and yeah. it really added to the layers of the story there's a scene where Carney accuses <laughs> Freddie of being a drug dealer when they're in the diner and Freddie is so disgusted by his cousin's hypocrisy he's like yeah I'm selling crack to babies and nuns they're in there jumping, <laughs> jumping, for, jumping for the Lord you know and the way he says it I I can't, but it's great. So yeah, I love this book and I'd recommend it. And I would say that the audio recording is very good as well. Yeah, so we both have this book, but I listened to it on Libby too. Um, Unlike his other books, this doesn't seem to be one that's hard to get. So Libby is a free um, library app and I've downloaded it a couple times without a line, without a wait list. Yeah, Um, yeah, definitely, but great book. mm -hmm. So what are we reading next week, Kari? The Murder at the Vicarage, a Miss Marple mystery by problematic queen Agatha Christie. <laughs> okay. Looking forward to that one. Thank you for listening to Lit Society. We look forward to meeting up with you next week, Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by me, Alexis Anaria, and Kari Herrera. We're Support back, baby! The- cause by leaving a five-star <laughs> review for our show on Apple Podcasts along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love you too. If you've enjoyed what you just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes this month's book list and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, readers, read something. Read something. What's a show moat? <laughs> <laughs> do I need to do that again? I'm a, nope, I'm leaving it in. <laughs>